Several pro-life films did well at the box office last year. Does this represent a culture shift? We'll discuss the popularity of movies about sin and redemption. And former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay will join us to unpack yesterday's primaries results. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. We have won enough delegates to claim with confidence, humility, and a great sense of responsibility that I will be the Republican nominee for President of the United States. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Penna Dexter, sitting in for Dr. Johnson, and uh, that's last night right here in Dallas at John McCain's victory party at the Fairmont Hotel, announcing that he had reached the climax, the point that he needed to be to say that he is now the Republican nominee. John McCain told supporters, now the race for president begins a new phase. Now we begin the most important part of our campaign. And it's an important part. Uh, He's going to begin thinking about uh, one issue that a lot of people are wondering about, and that is who he will pick for his vice president. As a matter of fact, let's open up the phones right now. Uh, Maybe you have some suggestions for John McCain. Who do you think should be his VP pick? As a matter of fact, who do you think should be the VP in uh, the Democrat race? If, for instance, Hillary Clinton is the nominee, what about if Barack Obama is the nominee? We're going to take calls about the vice presidential spot, who should be running on the second place in the ticket. The number is 800-881-9270. Well, something else happened last night over in Las Colinas. Mike Huckabee bowed out. In his concession speech, he quoted the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote that I fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Well, I'm going to miss Mike Huckabee on the campaign trail. I have loved listening to him. He speaks beautifully. He espouses Christian principles. He quotes the Bible, and he does everything without notes. He's funny, and uh, he's been a great candidate. Mike Huckabee said he was proud of the type of campaign he and his supporters have waged. We've kept the faith, and that for me has been the most important goal of all. I'd rather lose an election then lose the principles that got me into politics in the first place. And speaking to all of his enthusiastic supporters, he said he'd call John McCain to concede that the race is over. I extended to him not only my congratulations, but my commitment to him and to the party to do everything possible to unite our party. 
And he also said that all Republicans should now unite behind John McCain. It's now important that we turn our attention not to what could have been or what we wanted to have been, but what now must be, and that is a united party. And for his part, McCain commended his rival, Mike Huckabee. All of us want to again commend my friend, Governor Mike Huckabee. He's a great and fine and decent American. We are taking your calls. Who should be in the VP slot for John McCain? And what about on the Democrat side? The number is 800-881-9270. We have some calls coming in. And, of course, now that this primary is over, and, of course, we do know, and we'll talk later about how Hillary Clinton did get a boost here, uh, but the Democrats are going to continue to fight this out. It really wasn't that much of a delegate boost, but it was a psychological boost. The Republicans, of course, settled on their candidate. We're going to talk about all these possibilities with former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay later in the program. And also, we often complain on this program about how Hollywood degrades the culture, you know, that whole saying, life imitates art. But in the next segment, we're going to interview a Baylor professor and film critic about how sometimes art imitates life. And he's going to demonstrate to us uh, how movies, even the American noir genre, can serve as a barometer of the culture. It ought to be very interesting. But first, uh, we are taking your calls on who you think should go into the VP slot. Let's speak first with Steve in Denton. Steve, thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, you probably could expound on the reasons a lot more than I can, but uh, I believe Condoleezza Rice would make an excellent vice presidential candidate. She'd balance the ticket. I believe her character is impeccable, and I also believe she's one of the smartest women, if not the smartest woman in the United States right now. I don't know if she'd take the position, but I sure think she could do the job. Uh, okay, she's a woman and she's black, so those are two helpful uh, qualities about Condi Rice. Also, as you said, she's very smart, she's very popular. She's pro-choice on abortion, which doesn't help McCain on with the social conservatives too much. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure where she stands on a lot of the issues that face us, frankly, except for the international issues. But uh, I think a lot of people have said uh, that she would be a good choice. As a matter of fact, one person that did say that last week, uh, and uh, I heard him say it myself, is Dr. Richard Land. He thinks she would be a great, great uh number two on the Republican ticket. So thanks, Steve. I appreciate uh, your call, and uh, we are taking your calls again. We want to know who you think should be the uh, VP choice. Now, President Bush said that the selection of a vice presidential candidate is not as important as some make it out to be. People don't vote for vice presidents as much as I hate to say that for, uh, for those who have been candidates for vice president. They're going to vote for who gets to sit inside that Oval Office and make decisions. And uh, McCain, of course, he says he hasn't uh, started uh, working on that selection yet. I didn't think it was appropriate to contemplate this process, as I've discussed before, until after we had secured the nomination of the party. Now we'll begin that process. And on the Democrat side, Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, assuming that she would be the nominee, which we certainly can't assume yet, but she was asked about the possibility of the Democratic ticket being both Barack Obama and herself. Well, that may, uh, you know, be where this is headed, but of course we have to decide who's on the top of the ticket. <laughs> and I think that uh, the people of Ohio very clearly said that it should be me. 
Well, they're still deciding that, not in Ohio, but uh, the country may be deciding that all the way up to their convention this summer. But uh, we do have lots of folks calling in on this issue of the vice presidential ticket. How much does this matter to you, and who do you think it should be? Let's go to Jackie in Arlington. Jackie, thanks for calling. Hi. You almost had me convinced on Condoleezza Rice until you hit the abortion issue. Um, But I would love to see Mike Huckabee there. I think that would be an awesome choice. Would that help you a little bit to get more excited, for instance, about uh, the Republican ticket? Yes, Mm ma'am. How come? How come? Well, he everything that I've read and learned about Mike Huckabee, he he follows all the principles that I have, and well, McCain does too. But if we had both of them together supporting each other, that would be. That would be great. Kind of a winning combination in your mind, huh? Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Jackie. Let's go now to North, North Richland Hills and speak with Judy. Hi, Judy. Thanks for calling in. Hi. You're welcome. Who do you think should be on the Republican uh, ticket number two? Absolutely. I think that it should be Mike Huckabee. And um, and I wanted to say I, I'm not going to miss him because I'm going to keep working for him for 2012. Are you? I wonder if you'll run again. Uh, you know, the the thing about Mike Huckabee that worries me, and uh, I, as you know, I just said, I think he was a great candidate, is that he had the problems with the conservatives about possibly not being a fiscal conservative. And so what does that do to help or, or hinder the McCain ticket? I mean, does he, there's a whole group of people who don't care so much about the social issues, he certainly draws in the social conservatives, but what about the others? And that's the thing that concerns me. And he's also a Southerner. Uh, he probably, the state of Arkansas, would it's not a big state anyway, doesn't bring a lot of delegates. So that's another reason. But, uh, you know, it's a very interesting possibility, and I think a lot of uh, Christians and conservatives would be floating that one. And uh, I guess we've got a lot of uh, different folks calling in uh, with their choices for uh, for the Republican and the Democrat uh, vice presidential race. I think the important thing to look at is how much does this really matter? I mean, President Bush says it doesn't matter. Uh, nobody gets elected, really, unless um, they uh, are popular uh, with the citizens. The guy in the Oval Office is the one that matters, and the, the VP ticket doesn't really make a whole big difference. So, you know, do you think that matters? You can give us a call on that. Also, uh, something else I want to mention, that is the fact that in this Democratic race, um, it may not be decided up until the convention, and that is because there are so many of what we've called superdelegates. We've talked about this on the program before. 20% of the delegates uh, delegates nominating these uh, Democrat candidates are something called superdelegates. And this needs to be explained a little bit, I think, because uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, and it only exists in one party, the Democrat Party. And uh, my friend Kirby Anderson wrote a commentary on this where he explains that back in 1982, the Democrat Party actually uh, created this special role for party leaders, and they called them superdelegates. So that's what these people are. They're not elected by anybody, as some people mistakenly think, but they're just chosen because they're leaders in the party, and they're to prevent the party from nominating somebody who might be unelectable. 
Uh, back then, the problem was George McGovern, who turned out just to be so, so liberal. He was unelectable, and he wasn't elected. In fact, Nixon beat him um, by a landslide. And so, uh, but most of the time, they've just confirmed the people's choice. This time, they may overrule the people choi- people's choice. And if Barack Obama ends up with the most delegates uh, but doesn't quite make it, Hillary Clinton could use her influence and her husband's influence to sway people to support her and win the nomination that way. And uh, so some people don't think that's a very democratic way of, of choosing a nominee, but this is just something that everyone needs to understand and be aware of. Well, let's continue to take calls on the VP slot. Let's go to Derek in Richardson. Derek, thanks for calling. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a real question about um, the candidates for vice president, whether it's Condoleezza Rice or Mike Huckabee. But it seems like we've had candidates who were pro-life. We've had candidates who were conservative physically, and nothing's changed. Help me understand why the Republican Party isn't making the impact it should make. All right. Well, first of all, I don't think that's true. I mean, look at uh, the partial birth abortion ban. It was passed three times by Congress. Uh, President Clinton vetoed it. President Bush signed it. He also, his administration fought for it in the courts, and it's now in law. And maybe it doesn't stop, you know, most abortions, but what it does do is that court decision was such a strong decision that states across the country are using it to pass lots of restrictions on, on abortion. So there's just one. Uh, President Bush also stood up against embryonic stem cell research, so he stood up for life. On the economy, President Bush pushed hard for our tax cuts, and those tax cuts are having an awesome effect on the economy. The economy economy may not be what you would like it to be right now, but it is strong. And it if you didn't have those tax cuts, or if those tax cuts are repealed under a, a Democrat president, you're going to uh, you're going to see what can happen to the economy. Also, what about Supreme Court appointments? That affects life. And that affects a lot of the issues that Republicans and Democrats care about. So who those appointments are, of course, is totally at the prerogative of the president. So yes, it does matter. And I think, um, you know, we get spoiled, uh, especially after eight years of an administration. No, everything we wanted done, it was not done. But a lot of things were done that have made things better. And uh, so who a president is, especially on the life issue, is very, very, very important. Uh, thanks, Derek, for your call. Let's go now to Mike and Wiley. Very quickly, Mike, quick comment. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just think that somebody uh, needs to be appointed to the vice presidency that's to the right of John McCain on the other issues. Okay, great. Uh, Got to let you go. One more call. Stephen Arlington, who do you think? How about Colin Powell? Colin Powell seems to be a great choice. Okay, Carl Jeffers on the KCBI coverage uh, last night said that very same thing. I disagreed with him because I think he's got strong national security credentials along with McCain. And uh, you need somebody more with the social issues uh, to draw the social conservatives in. That's my thought on that. Uh, Next up, we're going to talk about the movie, so stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. It's been my honor to welcome uh, my friend uh, John McCain as the nominee of the Republican Party. That's President Bush today at a press conference congratulating John McCain as the 2008 Republican standard bearer. Now, President Bush said that he is going to campaign for McCain in any way that helps. If he wants me to show up, I will. If he wants me to say, you know, I'm not for him, I will. Whatever he wants me to do, I want him to win. We've been asking folks who they think uh, McCain's vice presidential pick should be. And here's one of our listeners, Chris Graves. He says, I think Governor Haley Barber of Mississippi should be the uh, VP pick. He has the administrative experience that Senator McCain lacks, and he's a proven conservative. He also says that Barber is personable and can run for president in eight years, that he's a Southerner, and we want one of our own near the Oval Office. And, of course, he was uh, president or head of the Republican National Committee at one time. So that's an interesting suggestion. Well, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, and we're going to talk about movies. Uh, our next guest says that some films with seemingly dark themes can actually have some redemptive messages. And with us to talk about this and about his new book is Dr. Thomas Hibbs. He is Dean of the Honors College and Distinguished Professor of Ethics and Culture at Baylor University. He's also a popular film critic for National Review. And uh, Dr. Hibbs, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Happy to be with you. Well, you've got a new book out called Arts of Darkness, American Noir and the West, uh, the Quest for Redemption. And when I think of noir, I think of black and dark, but that's not always the case, is it? Well, uh, certainly that's the, the, the French word noir means, means black or dark. And, uh, and these films are, uh, that fit into this category are certainly dark in mood and often literally in the setting. Uh, they're, they're often films where you don't have much sunlight, where there's a lot of shadows and so forth. But I think you can find films uh, in this group and films that are related to, to this style of filmmaking that actually uh, end up uh, with glimmers of hope. And so this is a, about some of the films, I mean, some of the contemporary films that I talk about uh, that aren't strictly speaking noirs in the classic films like Maltese Falcon and so forth, but M. Night Shyamalan's films, for example, Features. Those would fit. Would those fit into this genre of American noir? Yes. Well, I mean, loosely. In the last thirty years, this category is sort of all over the map. Uh, but but these are are dark films of a kind of spiritual quest, where you have characters who are in the midst of seeming unintelligibility and horrible loss, are trying to find their way. And so I, I talk about a number of these films, some classical films, some contemporary, and uh, and talk about the way in which some of these have. Uh, uh, characters who are on a kind of quest for redemption. 
When uh, you expand this, because you said that we can also sort of expand this whole idea of um, the films sort of taking a temperature on the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen all these pro-life films out there. We've seen Bella, Mm -hmm. uh, which everybody seemed to love, and we've seen Juno Mm -hmm. and The Waitress and several other films who have really said, you know, abortion. I mean, not directly, but they've sent the message that abortion's a bad thing and that pro-life's a good thing. So is this what you're talking about in your book? Well, I don't specifically talk about those. Uh, this uh, the book is, you know, in production for about six months, so I didn't talk about right. a lot of these films. But I do think you see in Knocked Up, in Waitress, in Juno. There's a film that just opened up in Dallas, a Romanian film, four months, three weeks, two days, which is actually quite a dark film and features a, a character who chooses actually to have an abortion, but the depiction of the whole setting and indeed the depiction of abortion itself is something that one liberal film critic said of this film that it's the best argument he's ever seen against abortion and so even in that film where you find a a character unlike the other films we mentioned from last year a character who actually chooses to have the abortion but this is not presented as a heroic or uplifting uh... choice it's actually depicted as one of the many examples of human degradation in this film so I think there is a, a really a kind of striking turn. It's not that any of these films, Knocked Up, Juno, Waitress, Four Months, it's not that any of them makes an argument for the illegality of abortion, right. but rather that in their depiction of the choices, mostly choices for life, uh, in one case a choice for abortion, that, that there's a moral resonance to the choices. And in fact, in all the cases where the option is for life, things that seem like they're going to go wrong end up being better than the characters thought they would be. So there's a kind of hopefulness to those films, even though the situation looks quite horrible, potentially, uh, that I think gives uh, what we might call broadly a sort of pro-life message. Dr. Thomas Hibbs is with us, and we are talking about uh, movies and film. And, you know, we, we put out the idea at the beginning of the program, Dr. Hibbs, that a lot of people say, well, art imitates life. But in a sense, uh, art can also be used by the artist or the writer or whatever to try to influence the culture in certain ways. And that can be a positive. uh, And I'm sure that your book describes some of that, doesn't it? Well, I'm I'm trying to, one of the things I'm trying to do in this book, The Arts of Darkness, is to to help uh, particularly believers to, to take the measure of the culture and to be able to develop skills of interpreting films, of judging what's good and what's bad. And, and I think, you know, we're all tempted by, because Hollywood puts out a lot of junk, they put out a lot of aesthetically bad stuff, they put out a lot of ethically bad stuff, but there, there are good things uh, that come out of Hollywood and out of foreign films, and if we can learn to discriminate uh, the good from the bad, uh, we'll be uh, more articulate about what we believe and more informed about how to make judgments about the culture, and I think better able especially to steer our young people amidst a very confusing and conflicting uh, sort of culture. Okay, what about uh, movies that some parents only see on the surface, and so they forbid these movies or they critique these movies when there is a deeper positive message? Mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, I didn't really think that my kids should see the Matrix films, mm-hmm. and yet there are great redemptive messages in there, and so there's got to be sort of an age issue, I think, yeah, where they can understand these things. That's absolutely right, and I talk, I have a chapter on science fiction noir, and I talk a little about the Matrix. It doesn't fit as well into that as a film like Blade Runner, 
uh, or a film like Dark City, which came out right before The Matrix a year before and kind of anticipates it. But I think you're absolutely right. There are uh, there are uh, important uh, age judgments about age and maturity level that parents need to make. And Hollywood doesn't help here. You know, if, if you go as a parent to a PG movie, you will see, uh, you will often see a film that probably should be rated PG-13, first of all. But you will certainly see in the, uh, in the films uh, at the beginning, in the, in the trailers that you'll get before your main attraction starts, the previews, you will find PG-13 films. Uh, and if you go to PG-13 films, you'll find themes in the opening trailers for previews that is appropriate to R-rated films. So Hollywood is always trying, in, in a very sort of sick way, to get kids at a younger age interested in things that are appropriate for older ages. And I think parents need to be very careful about these sorts of things. But you're right, simply because a movie has dark elements to it, or has a little bit of language in it doesn't mean that we ought to dismiss the entire movie for for teenagers. Uh, and so I think we we need to learn to be discriminating. We need to learn. It, it takes a lot of effort because you got to read reviews, and there aren't a lot of places where you can get reliable reviews. You can read a great review in your in your morning paper, and then go see this movie and think, oh my goodness, they didn't tell me any of this was in here. While you're sitting there next to your children, and so you you really have to uh, have to be discriminating. Many times you need to watch things before you let your kids watch it on DVD or whatever that might be. But I, I think it's a good point you make. Uh, it's a lot of work being a parent sometimes. Yes. The uh, the book is Arts of Darkness, American Noir and the Quest for Redemption. The author is Dr. Thomas Hibbs. Dr. Hibbs, um, what movies are out there right now that you could recommend uh, that might just be good good movies for, say, the the teenage, you know, high school, college age, up to adulthood? Boy, um, I I had uh, I don't know what's what's right out right now. I um, I think that that the film I mentioned that just opened in in Dallas, the four months that would mm-hmm. certainly be only for adults. Uh, that's a film that uh, is uh, is very disturbing in many ways. Um, I, I actually I'm going to mention another one that I I thought was uh, entertaining but a bit problematic. The Spiderwick Chronicles, which came out a couple weeks back, I reviewed that for National Review. And, and it's, it's a very entertaining film in many ways, but it has some very troubling themes about divorce and the tension between a son and a father that Roger Ebert uh, even said that, that there's a particular scene in there uh, that really merited that film being a PG-13 rather than just a PG. And so I, I think um, uh, that's, the, that's the last film that I reviewed, and that one I found much more troubling than I thought I would. So, again, with these kinds of things, I think it's important for parents to, uh, to at a minimum, to, to go, if you have a question about these films, to go with your kids and be able to talk to them afterwards so they can sort through some of these things. Of course, Juno's in the, in the theaters now, yeah. and, and it's an Oscar-winning uh, film. What's your thoughts on that well, one? I, I really like Juno, and I, I was hoping it would win. Um, I, I think it was, by, by far, there were other movies that weren't nominated that were quite good. This, uh, this Irish uh, film about uh, sort of amateur musicians once mm-hmm. is, a, is a brilliant, beautiful, it's out on DVD now. Uh, but, uh, but Juno, I think, again, it's not for young kids, but for sort of mature teens, high school age, uh, I think it's a film they'll like and enjoy and probably profit from. I think it's a, it's, it's a very uplifting film about a girl who admits and knows that she's in way over her head and yet manages to do the right thing. And uh, you write film uh, reviews for National Review? That's right. So how can people find those? Well, if you go to National Review online, 
uh, you can uh, you can simply uh, click on uh, they have a search for authors and you can just click on my name Tom Hibbs H I B B S and uh, and you'll find all the reviews I do two or three things a month for them and uh, they have a link also for for my book Arts of Darkness uh, which is published by uh, Spence Publishing right there in Dallas. Okay, thank you, Dr. Hibbs. We really appreciate your uh, giving us some insight today, and I think we need to come back to you periodically to talk about uh, what Hollywood is just sending out to us. Love to do it. All right, that's Dr. Thomas Hibbs, Ph.D., and, of course, he's at Baylor. And you can also uh, read his reviews at National Review Online. His book is Arts of Darkness, American Noir, and the Quest for Redemption. Next up, uh, Tom DeLay will join us to talk about these primaries the political landscape. Uh, we can continue to talk about VP picks with him. And uh, we will also welcome your calls, 800-881-9270. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. You know, I... I uh did a little um, video for my website last night, and I said, you know, just like Mark Twain, the rumors of my demise are exaggerated. Go to HillaryClinton.com and see for yourself I'm still here. <laughs> it is kind of amazing because the media has pronounced her dead and called for her to pull out a couple of times, and uh, she had a pretty good night last night, three states out of four. And here's the delegate count. Uh, it's Barack Obama, 1,477. Hillary Clinton, 1,391. You need 2,025 to win. And that uh, that really kind of confirms what we mentioned before, and that is these superdelegates make a huge difference. There's 800 of them. And, you know, in <clears throat> excuse me, in Massachusetts, for instance, um, Hillary Clinton won that state, and yet... John Kerry, the two senators, John Kerry and uh, Ted Kennedy, have both pledged their support to Barack Obama. So, you know, in a sense, Hillary could go back and say, if you're really worried about what your constituents think, you ought to come back to me. So that's going to be the battle uh, over the superdelegates. And uh, this is really, I think, a, a way that the Republican Party I'm sorry, the Democrat Party might continue to fight it out and be divided, and it might be a sort of a negative for them as John McCain gets to uh, now move on and run for president without opposition. Well, with us now to talk about these things is uh, former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay. And uh, Leader DeLay, thank you so much for joining us. Can you just kind of give us your take on uh, what the Democrats now have in, in store for them? Well, let me just add to what you were just saying, Penna, and it's great to be with you, by the way. <laughs> uh, there's another thing that the press won't pick up and the Republicans ought to, ought to talk about is uh, the Democrats, Obama and Hillary, are having to spend a lot of money on these superdelegates. Evidently, it takes a lot of money to get a superdelegate uh, to come your way. What, whining and dining? Uh, well, no, just straight out cash. Uh, to these delegates, uh, there was a report about a week ago that Obama had spent almost a uh, uh, million dollars on superdelegates, and Hillary had spent, I don't know, five or $600,000 on superdelegates. Um, it's, it's a horrible system they have, but it's a system they're dealing with. And as you say, and you're absolutely right, uh, they, because of the Hillary winning these uh 
primaries yesterday, a lot of these people are under tremendous pressure to come back to, to Hillary, I'm sure. So, yeah, as it goes on, they're going to start fighting with each other. Here in Texas, they were uh, they had to call out the police in Houston uh, because they were <laughs> fighting with each other at the caucuses. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday about this strategy of Republicans that were crossing over and voting in the Democrat primary. And we had people say they thought that was immoral, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think of that strategy for well, people I to try to influence the other party? I don't like it. I, I really don't. I, I know Rush put a big push on it. I don't know how many crossed over. I'm sure there were some. But, uh, for instance, in this congressional district that I live in, we had 10 Republicans running in the primary, and a lot of people stayed home and voted in the Republican primary because they wanted to vote for Congress. They wanted to vote for their county commissioners and, and other races. I, I don't think it, it was huge. It may have been. i I got to tell you, I wouldn't want the Democrats to come over and vote in, in my Republican primary. It's a, it's a party process, and the, it, the, the process is for the parties to pick their candidates from justice of the peace all the way to president. Uh, and we ought to allow the parties to do that. The, it's our system. And it, it's worked well in the past. And this crossover stuff, uh, I don't think, is very constructive. Of course, sometimes the uh, Democrats have done that in Republican primaries, too. Sure. And I think uh, some people thought that it was just, you know, fair. But let's go back and just hear from one of the Democrat candidates really quick, uh, Representative DeLay. Barack Obama on NBC's Today Show said he may have lost Texas, Ohio, and Rhode Island to Hillary, but he's still ahead in the race for delegates. Senator Clinton barely dented uh, the delegate count yesterday. We're going on to Mississippi and Wyoming, where we feel confident that we can do well. Tom DeLay is with me. His uh, new book is No Retreat, No Surrender. And uh, Mr. DeLay, they have to still fight it out, and Republicans don't have to. Does that give John McCain a big advantage right now? I, I think so, if, if he takes advantage of it. Um, John McCain uh, needs to really understand, and he, he says he understands, that um, uh, his base needs to be reached out to, the party needs to be united. Um, he needs to show leadership uh, to energize his base. He's got to raise money in the next few months, and he's got to uh, build an organization. And you're not going to raise money or build an organization by ignoring your base. So I, I think he's smart enough to know that. We'll see. Um, I have suggested, for instance, uh, that he needs a visionary uh, um, approach. He needs to appeal to, to the conservatives on issues that are important to them. Um, his speech yesterday, for instance, it, it was a good speech, except part of his speech was talking about issues that is the Democrat agenda, health care, uh, um, global warming, those kinds it of things. It doesn't make conservatives feel feel good right. so he about ne- him. He needs to, to establish in the next few months uh, a leadership. Uh, I've suggested, for instance, that it's it's more to conservatives than just cutting taxes. We want fundamental tax reform. It's more than just cutting spending or earmarks. It's entitlements is where spending is out of control, and we have to uh, eliminate to this auto autopilot spending that's going on, created by the Democrats. Uh, judicial activism. 
the culture war, protecting our families. The, those are issues that are important to us, and that's what he ought to be talking about, not, talk, not playing on their ball field. He needs to show leadership, stand for what he believes in, and I think people will rally around him. Well, some of his signature issues are things that just make conservatives mad, like campaign finance reform, uh, like uh, global warming and having a fix for that that's yeah. you know going to be expensive. Immigration. Immigration uh, is huge. And so, in a sense, it, I mean, he's got to—do you think that the VP pick's going to be important here? I think it's going to be important, but this is not, that's not what he needs to be focused on right now. What he needs to be focused on is energizing the base. And, and that's not going to help? That issues. won't help? Huh? That won't help? Uh, the BP would help, but that's, that's sort of the crowning glory. Uh, he, uh, conservatives want to vote for somebody that reflects their values. Uh, Democrats want to vote for somebody that will do something for them. Uh, and he ne- he needs to show leadership and and the values that we all uh, 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 espouse. I I just I just strongly believe that he has got to speak to the to the issues that are important to us right now. And um, I I think he will. I mean, in his speech yesterday, he talked about he's going around the country, he's going to rural America as well as urban America, and he's going to listen. Uh, he's going to get an earful, I guarantee you, because I've been around the country over the last two years, and I've gotten an earful. Conservatives are are mad. They want to see leadership. They're begging for leadership. And if he doesn't provide it, it isn't good enough. You can't get elected president just by voting against somebody. You have to lead out on things. Uh, Tom DeLay is with me, and a lot of this wisdom is in his book, No Retreat, No Surrender. Um Representative DeLay, what about um, who McCain's going to be running against? Who would it be better, in your mind, if you were if you were John McCain and you were running for president, who would you rather run against, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama? I don't know. I, I, they both have their strengths and they both have their weaknesses. Uh, in the case of Hillary, her negatives are wonderful to run against. Um, in Obama's case, he just... <laughs> He just doesn't get it. Uh, he has no substance, and you know he just gives the same speech over and over again. We have big hope for change, and change will bring hope. And hope for, uh, we all hope for change, and yes, we can. That's his speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's getting a little more specific lately, though, and it's getting worrisome to conservatives. Well, they're both liberal, and that's that's why I say if if in, in the next few weeks, if if not in the next couple months, if John McCain. Uh, comes out with an agenda that's a conservative agenda that is it, that is an alternative to to the far left from which Obama and Hillary come. Uh, I think it'll be a great debate and it will energize people and it'll be a very uh, motivating uh, election. And come uh, November, he he could possibly win. Hmm. Well, you're a strategist, and you were very successful as a strategist in getting things done uh, when you were in, in the House of Representatives. What should be the strategy now to advance the conservative movement forward? Well, the, uh, one of the things, and I hate to be blatantly commercial, but uh, I'm running around uh, creating a real grassroots uh, organization called Coalition for a Conservative Majority. You can go to ccmajority.org. It is a real grassroots organization that uh, is driving, uh, bringing conservative political activists together to, to develop action items to drive a conservative agenda. 
we need to stand for what we believe in right now. In the next couple of months, we need to be articulate and vocal and energetic about what we believe in so that John McCain gets it. Uh, And when John McCain, if he becomes president of the United States, we have to be more active than ever uh, to, to oppose him on issues we don't agree with him on and support him on issues that we do agree on. It's going to be interesting, and yes, uh, Tom DeLay has been with me. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. We always appreciate your wisdom and weighing in on these things, and we will talk to you again soon. Anytime, Penna. Thank you so much. That is Tom DeLay, and of course, uh, he was a great leader in the conservative movement and in the Congress. His book is No Retreat and No Surrender. Next up, uh, give us a call if you've got any more thoughts on the VP slot, either on the Republican side or the Democrat side, we'd love to hear from you, 800-881-9270. Also, what about Obama mania? What about these folks uh, fainting at Obama rallies? What's with some of the ladies in this country these days? We're going to talk a little bit about that right after this. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. In this election, we will offer two very different visions of the America we see in the 21st century. Well, that is true. I'm not sure that uh, most of the American electorate knows that yet, but the visions are very different uh, because many of the positions of Barack Obama are quite liberal, far to the left. Uh, He has been uh, deemed the most pro-abortion senator by the National Journal uh, in all of the United States Senate, so that's one issue, and uh, there are others. So uh, this is going to be, I think, uh, it's going to get a little bit more substantive Some of the air was squeezed out of the Obama campaign in the last few days, and I think that's why uh, Senator Clinton did a little bit better last night, because he started getting asked some questions um, uh, by the media. Well, I want to give you a couple of program notes. Uh, Tomorrow, David Bossie will join us. He is with Citizens United, and he was one of the opponents of uh, some of uh, the Clinton I don't know, shenanigans that took place during the Clinton administration. He exposed some of that. And uh, we're going to talk to him about the conservative movement, where it's going. We'll also have Josh McDowell from Josh McDowell Ministries on. Of course, he's the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, back in the day, he was a person that was very influential in my salvation. And I believe he will be... Uh, 
on with us tomorrow night also. Oh, David Bossy is the uh, was the lead investigator of Whitewater for a time. So uh, that ought to be interesting. Are there any skeletons in Hillary Clinton's closet that we haven't already come up with? Well, let's go back to John McCain and hear uh, what he had to say about the fact that President Bush endorsed him today. I'm very honored and humbled to have the opportunity to receive the endorsement of the President of the United States, a man who I have great admiration, respect, and affection. And, of course, that's politics. Uh, They ran against each other in 2000 for the nomination, and uh, it was hard fought. But uh, they have worked together on things, and, of course, John McCain has been very, um, very positive on the surge and uh, on the fact that we are making some progress in Iraq. That's helped him get where he's gotten. He's got the nomination. John McCain saying he'll be grateful to have President Bush campaign for him, despite indications that some voters don't actually want a continuation of the Bush administration. I hope that he'll campaign for me as much as is keeping with his busy schedule. I'll be pleased to have him with me, both from raising money and the much-needed finances for the campaign and addressing the challenging issues that face this country. And let's go back because we haven't heard much from Hillary Clinton today. She was on CBS's early show and talked about her win in Ohio and Texas. This campaign is finally uh, about the choice between the two of us and also importantly, the choice between one of us and John McCain. The race changed once it became clear that John McCain would be the Republican nominee. And I think Democrats took a hard look at John McCain with his emphasis on national security and then took a hard look at the two of us and concluded that I'm the best uh, possible candidate to be commander in chief. They looked at the economy and they see that I have a real economic blueprint and uh, they're not sure where either Senator McCain or Senator Obama stand when it comes to the economy. So these choices were about the real differences between me and uh, my primary opponent and uh, Mm. Senator McCain. Well, she has a really good point about uh, people's uh, view of Barack Obama and what they're seeing, because they are starting to see where he stands on certain things. And, you know, as I said um, earlier, I worry a little bit about this whole Obama mania phenomenon, and uh, we have talked about it on this program. It, It tends to get almost into a religious fervor, and people are looking for change, and they're saying, yes, we can, yes, we can. And they really don't know what we can do and what all of this stands for. And, you know, I noticed uh, a column that's been getting some attention this week in the Sunday edition of the Washington Post. And it's called Women versus Women. So I'm going to talk to women now, though men ought to listen in because I think it's important for everybody. And I can talk about this because I am a woman. Uh, It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek critique about how absolutely dumb women can be. And uh, as I said, since I am a woman, I guess I should be insulted by this critique, uh, but I'm not, because I think that the author, Charlotte Allen, who is sort of a conservative, anti-feminist feminist, uh, and so I appreciate her. And if you can wade through the insults in her piece called Women Versus Women in the Washington Post, she's got a point. Now, she observes in this article that women get hyper-emotional about things sometimes and that we rely on feelings so much that it can be really embarrassing. And her first example of this is this national phenomenon known as gushing over Barack Obama. Now, You've you've probably seen and heard about these women that just scream like he's a rock star at his campaign appearances. One radio host has counted five faintings 
since September at Obama rallies. So I guess my question would be, are these women swooning over the man, Barack Obama, or are they swooning over his policy prescriptions? And uh, I, I have a feeling they're swooning over sort of the man and his aura. And Charlotte Allen writes in this piece called Women Versus Women that was in the Washington Post uh, over the weekend, I can't help it. But reading about such episodes of screaming, gushing, and swooning makes me wonder whether women, I should say we women, of course, aren't the weaker sex after all, or even the stupid sex. And she goes on to wonder how women can catapult uh, things like chick lit. And she mentions Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, this book that's gone up to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. She also wonders how Oprah Winfrey can be so influential among women or how women have lots more psychosomatic uh, illnesses than men do or how they fall more frequently than men for what Charlotte describes as sort of a feel-good gummy spirituality. And I think that's sometimes what uh, Barack Obama actually portrays as sort of a religious fervor. But even beyond that, women do sometimes fall for a spirituality, sort of an Oprah-esque type spirituality that uh, isn't really the truth. Uh, Charlotte Allen, of course, likes to get in the faces of of feminists, and uh, she acknowledges that women and men are different And that sometimes makes feminists mad. And that's what she was really doing in this particular article. So, you know, it's tongue in cheek. And but I sort of resonate with her critique, because I think that we women should make it a point to downplay our emotions and actually use our minds and our intellects to prioritize things and divide, uh, decide things. And that's really what the Proverbs 31 woman does. She kind of operates this way. As Charlotte points out, the female brain is different. Men's brains are bigger, and even adjusting for body size, they're bigger. And they're larger in the area that accounts for space perception. So that's probably why they get in fewer car accidents. In fact, men have better capacities for abstract thinking and for reasoning. They're also better at math. They're better at science and philosophy. And, of course, the feminists really hate that, and they're always trying to force more women into these fields. And Charlotte uh, Allen, in in this piece, she knows that women are not really dumb. In fact, Women can be pretty smart. They pretty much have the same IQs as men. They have better memories, better verbal skills. And so she says, relax. Just enjoy your innate abilities, the ones that we possess, like uh, tenderness toward children, toward men, toward the weak, the ability to make a house a home. These are important things uh, in women's personalities and their makeup. And, of course, Proverbs 31 says, Fear the Lord. But I think there's one more message that I've got for women and men, and that's learn the positions of the presidential candidates and don't swoon over any of them. And join us tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.